Our scripture lesson today comes first from the Old Testament, from the book of Ecclesiastes, page 765 in the Pew Bible, Ecclesiastes uh, 2, verses 18 through 24. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18. Then I hated all my labor in which I toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has man for all his labor and for all the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. And then reading from the New Testament, the book of Colossians chapter 3, page 1,355. 1,355 in the Pew Bible, Colossians 3, beginning at verse verse 18, and reading through chapter 4, verse 1, with particular attention to verse 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. As far as the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, I want to speak to you this morning about work. I know that the subject of work is perhaps not the most exciting subject that you might want to contemplate this morning, but it is certainly a very practical subject, for work is what we spend most of our lives doing. Almost all our waking hours are devoted to some kind of work, and even when we're sleeping, we're sleeping so that we will have the energy to to work. Work is a matter of concern to people of all ages, even senior citizens who are collecting Social Security and don't have to punch a time clock anymore to, uh, 
put food on the table, they have decisions they have to make about how to spend their time and how to work or what to work and what to do. And of course, when you're in your working years, that's a great deal of what you think about is how do I do my work and how can I be successful in my work? But this morning, I not only want to address seniors about their work and, and uh, uh, people in uh, their midlife who are working, but I want to especially address high school students today and college students and, and young people who are beginning their careers. I want you to think about work and uh, what is this all about, this work that, that we're called to do in this world. You're going to school now, many of you, to, to learn for some uh, way to serve God, some way to work in this world. You're being trained in various fields to, to put your talents and gifts to, to work. And I want you to think about what's, what's involved in that. And the first thing that I want to impress upon you is that our God is a God who works. Our God is a God who works. We read in Genesis chapter 2, and on the seventh day God finished his work, the work that he had done. We read in the call to worship, I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers. And we could read from Psalm 102, verse 25, of, laid, of old you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. Well, God worked at creation, but he didn't stop working. Jesus said in John 5, verse 17, my father is working until now, and I am working. Oh, God has finished the work of creation, but he is now doing the work of redemption, and Jesus is working. So our God is a God who works. Now, I don't know if you're aware of it, but that is rather counter cultural, especially at the time in which Moses wrote Genesis, it was countercultural. It wasn't what people thought about work, that God works. They had an entirely different idea about God in the pagan world at the time that Moses wrote Genesis. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Babylonian uh, creation myths, but uh, uh, according to uh, ancient Babylonian myths, uh, uh, there was once no world and no human beings, but there were gods uh, that occupied the heavens, and there were two armies of gods that went to war against each other. And uh, the victorious army, uh, led by a god named Marduk, uh, took the leader of the opposition that he beat, uh, took uh, her body, he killed her, and took her body, and out of her body created the earth. The earth, therefore, is uh, of feminine nature. We talk about Mother Earth. Uh, uh, he created the earth out of, uh, out of the, the leader of the oppo opposing army of gods. And then he took all who had followed that leader and enslaved them on the earth, making these gods work the earth, to produce food for the army of the victorious gods. Well, those gods who were consigned to work the earth did not like working at all. And uh, they began to uh, think about rebellion. And there was one leader among them that wanted to lead a rebellion against Marduk. And Marduk got wind of it. And so he came and he put that leader to death. 
and realized he had to do something, so he promised the rest of the uh, enslaved gods. He said, I will free you from your slavery to work if you pro promise uh, loyalty to me, and uh, what I'll do is I'll uh, create a, a race of lesser beings who will work the earth and produce food for all of us, for all the gods. And uh, the defeated gods agreed to that. They said, if, we are, if you'll free us from slavery to work, then uh, we will serve you. So he took the body of uh, the, the rebel and mixed it with clay and made human beings, and made human beings slaves of the god to do work that was beneath the dignity of any of the gods to do. Well, that's, that's what the ancients thought about work that, and human beings, that we were created to be the slaves of God and, and work was something which the gods didn't have to do, didn't want to do, and was beneath their dignity to do and would rebel if they had to do it. But we, we are consigned to work. The Greeks at the time didn't have much better view of work. Work uh, in, uh, in Greek mythology came from, uh, from Zeus, who was angry at uh, human beings, particularly one uh, couple of humans, uh, husband and wife, and uh, he wanted to punish them, but he didn't really have a good excuse to punish them, so he, he, he designed, designed a plan to, to bring curses down upon them. And what he did was he created a box, or some say an urn, and he put in it all kinds of curses. And then he, uh, he gave it uh, to the wife of the man he hated, hoping that he would incite uh, jealousy by giving it to his wife, and, and the man would uh, open the box, and out of the box would come these curses, and then he could say, look, uh, I, I told you not to open it, uh, and uh, you went ahead and did it anyway, so the fact that these curses have uh, come upon you is your own fault. Well, uh, his provoking the man to jealousy didn't work. The man didn't know he followed instructions. Uh, Zeus said, don't open the box. You'll be sorry if you open the box and, uh, and gave it to the wife. And uh, the man said, okay, I won't open the box. But one day when he was away, his wife, uh, uh, Pandora, uh, opened the box. And out of the box came all sorts of uh, uh, curses, uh, disease and uh, war and famine and pestilence and death and, and burdensome toil. Burdensome toil was one of the curses that came out of Pandora's box. And uh, so mankind now is cursed with burdensome toil because the gods were angry at mankind. Well, Nobody believes these myths anymore, do we? we? We don't believe in Marduk and we don't believe in Zeus, but, but it's certainly the case that in our world today, many have the same kind of view of work, that work is a curse, that work is an evil, that work is somehow beneath the dignity of us to have to perform. It's a necessary sort of thing, but we, we hate it. How many people buy lottery tickets because they hope they can win millions of dollars and never have to work again? Or you have fantasies about inheriting millions of dollars so that you never have to work again, and you wish that you could uh, earn enough money so that by age 50 or 55 you could retire early and never have to work again. Or you think, well, I'll never be rich, but at least when I get to be 65 or 67 and I start collecting Social Security, people won't expect me to work anymore and I don't have to work so hard anymore and so forth. And 
you know, work is something we, we, we do to earn a living, but not something that we live for or, or, or are, are delighted to do. We hate Monday mornings because Monday means we're going back to work, and we uh, breathe a, sigh, a little sigh of relief after Wednesday is over because now we're past hump day, and we're halfway, more than halfway to finishing the week. And when Friday comes, well, thank goodness it's Friday. It's the last day of work, and now we can live for the weekend. You know, those are the attitudes of the pagan world, of ancient paganism, which are still current in the world today, and sadly are still uh, found even in uh, churches today. Uh, People don't like to have to work. Well, over against this, the Bible shows us that our God is a God who works. Our God is, is a gardener who has uh, dirt on his hands. He planted a garden. Uh, our God is a potter, according to Isaiah 64, verse 8, with, with clay under his fingernails. That says, we are, the, we are the clay and you are the potter. We are the work of your hands. When God became a man in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, he had sawdust in his hair. Our God is a God who works. This gives all work dignity and honor. Work is a divine activity. There's no such thing as lowly work or menial work because our God works. This idea is reinforced and driven home when you consider the fact that we are created in the image of God. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, it means a lot of things, but one thing it also means is that we are created to work. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then the very next thing he says, as soon as he says image and likeness, he says, and let them have dominion over the earth. Let them have dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and everything that creeps. Let them have dominion over the earth. The first consequence of image of God is exercising dominion, and exercising is doing work. Exercising dominion is work. To be image of God is to be workers. It's as if we're little gods. He is the infinite God. We are the the finite reflection of him, and we are to copy him. That's driven home in the uh, fourth commandment, where uh, God says uh, six, God created in six days and rested the seventh day, and, and because he did that, we're to pattern our behavior after his behavior. He worked, we, he worked six days, we have to work six days. He rested, we have to rest. We are his image bearers, and we reflect him. Uh, the, uh, God is a, a creative God, and we're called to be creative. In Genesis 4, we read about how people learned how to live in tents and how they learned to care for livestock and how they made uh, musical instruments and how they uh, 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 made instruments of bronze and iron and uh, so forth. This was all part of man's imitating God in uh, creating. God created out of nothing. We don't create out of nothing, but we take the stuff that he created and we fashion things that are uh, useful and beautiful and uh, which uh, 
make our lives better. And God went forth and uh, he filled the earth and uh, we are called also to be fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth. Dorothy Sayers, who was uh, a contemporary of C.S. Uh, Lewis, uh, wrote a little booklet called Why Work, in which she said that work is, quote, the natural exercise and function of the creature who is made in the image of the Creator. She went on to say, work is not a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. We don't work to live, we live to work. That's what it means to be image bearers of God. God created work not as a punishment, not as a curse, but so that we could be like him. And as he looked upon his work and uh, took pleasure in the work of his hands, so we're able to look upon the fruit of our labors and enjoy satisfaction in the work of our hands. Work is a gift from God. Work is a blessing from God. That's how you need to think about work. And because work is a gift from God and a blessing of God, work ought to be offered up to God. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said, said so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Work is from God, work is a blessing from God, and so offer up your work to God in gratitude for all that he has done for you. Now, we don't do that very well. We don't do it perfectly. We don't even do it near perfectly. A lot of what we do, we, uh, we resent having to do, and, uh, and therefore it's a good thing that we have a Savior who did it for us. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, he wrote, or he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Think about that. I have glorified you, and how have I glorified you? I have glorified you by doing the work you gave me to do. Now, we ought to take that as our marching orders, that, that we ought to be just like Christ, and, and indeed you should. You should say, I want to glorify God by the work that I do. But every time I fail, I am comforted by the fact that Christ did it. Christ did it perfectly. He did it perfectly for me. And because I trust in him, because I believe in him, his perfect work offered up to God for God's glory is credited to me. Just as my guilt is laid on him, his righteousness is laid on me. And his righteousness consists of doing the work that his father gave him to do and so glorifying God in that way. Well, all of this means that there is no such thing as secular work. All legitimate work is from God and for God, whether it's, it's uh, changing diapers or building rockets to go to the moon. Uh, all work has dignity. All work has honor. You know, a, a good carpenter is not merely a man who is honest in his business dealings and doesn't overcharge for his work. And uh, a good carpenter is not merely one who goes to church on Sunday and tithes of his earnings. Uh, a good carpenter is one who builds a table that doesn't wobble 
all the legs are, are the same length. And he, when, when he builds a dresser, the, the drawers don't stick. He does good work, and in doing that good work, he, he glorifies God. It's not secular work, it's religious work. All skill comes from God. In Exodus 36, it speaks of every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work. Yeah, God puts skill and he puts intelligence into you so that you know how to do the work that, that he has called you to do. Strength for work comes from God. In Deuteronomy 8, it says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives you power, power to get wealth, power to do work by which you earn your wealth. And success comes from God. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. It is vain to rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Our God is a God who blesses labor, and because he blesses labor, we are successful at it. Work is from him and through him, and through our work we praise him, and he blesses us. This is the kind of view that we ought to have about work. As you study in high school, as you study in college to prepare for some labor, you ought to be saying, I'm preparing to do something good something that will bring praise to God, something that will honor Him. That's why I'm studying. That's why I'm preparing. That's why I've chosen this career is so that I can do something to bring praise to my Creator and my Redeemer. Where this view of work is found, then life prospers and people thrive. And where this view of work is not found, people die. Think of the lessons that have been learned in Turkey after this recent earthquake. You know that the government in Turkey is going around arresting builders and building inspectors because so many buildings collapsed, collapsed because they weren't built according to code. They were built sub-code. And the builders did that to line their own pockets with extra profits. And they used those extra profits to bribe the inspectors. And because they built subcode and bribed the inspectors, when the earthquake came, over 40,000 people died. Now, not all the deaths were attributed to that. And it was a terrible earthquake, but that's part of the problem, that, that people aren't doing their work for the glory of their God. They're doing it for themselves, and when they do it for themselves, people die. Just a matter of doing the simple task of washing your hands after you handle raw chicken saves lives. That's work. That's honorable work, uh, preparing a meal. And, and when you do it well, you promote life. You don't clean the bathroom, you let it become a filthy mess, and that gives rise to disease, and people could get sick and die. Cleaning toilets is holy work. Doing work, doing it well, doing it to the glory of God makes life prosper and makes life pleasant and, and beautiful. But now some of you are thinking this this view of work is all well and good for the theologian to hold to, but it doesn't work in the real world. 
In the real world, workers are exploited by employers who seem to only care about the, the bottom line, about earning money. And co-workers, they want you to fail so that they look good and so that they get the promotion that you deserve. And employers are hindered by government regulations and zoning laws and taxes that seemingly designed to kill business. And of course, your competitors are always out there with their cutthroat practices trying to destroy your businesses. Things are always going wrong. The weather is wrong. The economy is wrong. Equipment fail. People are difficult to deal with. Some days you want to go home and kick the dog who's the only one in this world who really loves you unconditionally. That's the real world, right? This idea that work is a blessing. That, that just doesn't work in this real world. Why is that? Well, the problem, of course, is sin and the curse of God on the world because of sin. God said to Adam and Eve after they sinned, now, now work is going to be hard. By the sweat of your brow you shall uh, eat your bread, and in pain you will bring forth children. Two great works, the bringing forth of children and the subduing of the earth, both now involve pain and frustration and great futility, and it's hard work. But there's hope. There's hope because our God is redeeming this world from the curse. And because he is redeeming this world from the curse, we can begin to taste the beauty of work again. And I want to give you some, some ideas some, uh, about how to go about that in a practical way. How can you discover uh, the key to to enjoying work. And there are three keys that I want to give you, and I have to give credit where credit is due here. I, I'm uh, basically paraphrasing something I learned from uh, Reverend Tim Keller in uh, one of his sermons on work. Three keys to enjoying your work. And the first one is to look within yourself. You who are young yet and still not sure of what your life's calling is, you need to, to look inside of you and say, what am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? What, what makes me happy when, I, when I'm engaged in various activities? And if you can discover what you're good at and what you enjoy doing, then that is a key to, to work. It, it's terrible if you have, if you have this idea, I, I want to do this, but I have to do that. And, and the thing that you're doing is what you hate, and the thing you want to do is, is what you can't do. Well. Find out early in your life what you can do, what you're good at, and what you enjoy doing, and then, and then train for that. Get the education for it. And if you're not sure yet, take some time. It's, it's no sin to, to take a gap year or not even to go to college at all if it's not needed for your calling. Uh, but take the time to get the training and the skills that you need to do what you enjoy doing because if you can work at something that you enjoy doing, that, is, uh, that won't uh, make it so you never have to sweat and it won't make it so that everything goes smoothly. You'll still have troubles, but at least you'll have this comfort that I'm doing something that I enjoy doing. So look within, discover your gifts and train and, and polish those gifts as you prepare for, for your life's calling. The second thing to do is to, to look around you. Look around you at the people in your world and say, how can I use my gifts to serve them? The key to happiness in work is knowing that you've done something good for someone else. 
You know, a lot of study has been done of World War II veterans. Uh, there aren't too many of them. I don't think there are uh, many World War II veterans around anymore, but uh, uh, over the years, a lot of study was done of them. And one thing that was discovered about World War II veterans in their later life, they look back upon their, their work in World War II as perhaps the greatest work that they ever did in their lives. It was hard work. It was painful work. It was deadly work. It was Uh, involved all kinds of hardship and pain and misery, but they thought it was the best work. And why did they think it was the best work? They, They thought it because they knew that they were doing something good for other people. And everyone else told them they were doing something good for other people. As they were fighting, they knew they were protecting their parents and their wives and their children back home, and they were fighting for for freedom, and they were fighting to crush evil. And when they came home, they were welcomed as heroes and treated as heroes mostly for the rest of their lives for that work. And because they knew they were doing something good, They derived great satisfaction. That was the best work that they had ever done. Well, that that reward is not limited to soldiers who fight against evil. Anyone, anyone who can look at their work and say, "I'm, I'm helping people live a better life. I'm improving people's health. I'm improving people's uh, diet, I'm improving people's uh, housing, I'm improving people's education, I'm improving people's health. All sorts of things I'm doing is helping other people, and if you can do something that helps other people, you will derive great satisfaction from your work. You'll learn to enjoy work. Again, you'll still have to deal with thorns and thistles and with sweat and so forth, but through it all, you'll say, I'm doing something good to help other people. Look within, discover your gifts, look around, find the needs, the legitimate needs of people around you and what you can do to meet those needs to help their lives. And you will enjoy your work. And then there's one more thing you have to do. You need to get some rest. You need to get some rest. And don't misunderstand me here, I'm not talking about getting enough sleep at night. I'm not even talking about resting on the Lord's Day, although I'd like to spend some time talking about that too. Both getting enough rest at night and getting, uh, resting on the Lord's Day are important to your life of work, but that's not my point now. The rest I'm talking about here is resting in Jesus and resting in His love. You know what motivates most people when they go to work? What motivates most people is self-justification. I have to justify myself. I have to prove myself worthy. Some people are trying to prove that to themselves. Maybe they grew up in an environment, an abusive environment, where they were made to feel like they were a worthless piece of garbage. And now they go to work to prove, to prove to themselves and to prove to other people that they're not a worthless piece of garbage. They're seeking to justify themselves and prove themselves that I am worth something. That's one reason people go to work. Other people are convinced that, that they're God's gift to mankind and that they are worth everything. And, but 
they also work at self-justification to prove it to others. They don't have to prove it to themselves. They already believe in themselves, but now they have to prove to the world that I'm a great person. And so they're seeking also to justify their existence to the world. Everybody is engaged in trying to prove something. Prove something to yourself or prove something to those around you. To prove to your prospective father-in-law that you're good enough to marry his daughter and uh, uh, show your neighbors that you're a worthy person by the, the big house you live in or the number of acres that you farm and so forth. You know, we're always trying to expand and improve and build things up to show the world I'm worth something. We're engaged in self-justification. Well, what does this lead to? Well, we read what it leads to. (laughs) Uh, All your days are sorrowful, and your work is burdensome. And even in the night, his heart takes no rest. This is vanity. This is vanity. You know, anxious toil. Because no matter how much work you do, you'll never do enough. You'll never do enough to convince yourself. There'll always be nagging doubts. I should have done more. I could have done more. I need to do more. And you become a workaholic, and you work all day, and you worry about it all night, and you get no rest. But if you know before you work, before you go to work, if you know that you are loved, you are loved perfectly with an infinite love, a perfect love, and are counted righteous in the sight of God, having already fulfilled all righteousness, not by yourself, but through a substitute, (laughs) if you know that you are loved and can rest in that love, then you can do your work, and it won't be anxious toil. It will be a gift from God. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy his good labor. This also, I saw, was from the hand of God. Enjoying your work is from him. The only way you can enjoy your work is if he lets you enjoy your work, and he lets his children who trust in him enjoy their work. He gives his beloved sleep. (laughs) They're not up all night worried because they are secure in his love. And you are secure in his love when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, trusting in what he has done for you, trusting that he makes you right with God. You don't have to prove yourself to God. You don't have to prove yourself to other people. You don't have to prove yourself to yourself. You're already loved with a perfect love and an infinite love. And now, you can go and gladly do your work to his honor and glory, taking the gifts he has given you, serving the legitimate needs of the people around you, and resting secure in his love. May God enable you to do such work. Do your work heartily unto the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Father, we thank you that you are a God who works and that you created us in your image to exercise dominion, to do work, to subdue the earth and fill the earth. Help us, O Father, to go forth in faith, discovering our gifts and using our gifts to serve the needs of those around us so that we might indeed honor you, resting secure in your love, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.